Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we'll have three songs, and then Greg will have our uh, reading and prayer. One more song, then we'll have our lesson. First song tonight is number 866. If you would let stand for this song, please. 866, I Will Call Upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord next song tonight is on the overhead only it's hymn of heaven hymn of heaven we've led this a couple times on wednesdays and want to do it tonight Yeah. 
next song is number 874. 874. Jesus is Lord. After this, we'll have our reading and prayer. Jesus is Lord, my Scripture reading that Chris has selected this evening is comes from Luke chapter 8. It's Luke 8, verses 9 through 15. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart 
having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just come to you at this time. Just thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come here and worship you. Father, we pray that things that take place here this evening is pleasing in your sight. Father, we are mindful of the ones that are on the sick list. Father, just continue to be with the doctors and nurses that tend to them, Father, and just pray that they can return to a normal portion of life. Father, also mindful of the ones that are shut in, Father, just give them the strength that they need. Father, ask a special blessing for Chris as he presents the sermon this evening, Father. Just pray that he has a good recollection of the things that he studied and Father, if there be one, any, anyone here this evening, Father, and has not put you on baptism, Father, just pray that they do that tonight. Thank you, Father, for everything that you do for us. You're so good to us, and we definitely don't deserve it. Father, just ask that you forgive us of the sins that we've committed, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Our next song this evening is number 523. 523, our God, he is alive. If you will let stand again, please. invitation be number 380 380 just as I am tonight we're going to do something a little different 
I've done this once before, um, but I'm going to preach from the floor, and we're going to do one of these sheet sermons. So back in the day, I don't know how many of you guys have heard this uh, a sheet sermon before. I've never seen one, and I'm kind of enchanted with them. <laughs> I think they're really, really neat. So in the days before PowerPoint, if you don't mind, raise up, yeah, this top one. So in the days before PowerPoint, some of our guys preached using these things. One more. Do the one right underneath it. How about that? Is that good? Back it up. Too close? Oh, size too close. I see. Yeah. How's that? Whoa. Ah. Huh? Okay. I love these things. Um, I inherited some of these from Marvin's granddad. Uh, he used a ton of them. Um, and, and I just, I love them. I think they're so neat. So, tonight we're going to use this as our illustration. Uh, like I said, this is not a new thing. You know, this is an old thing. Um, this style of of presentation was what some of our guys did before PowerPoint was around. Um, they would put this um, their their PowerPoint essentially on a sheet and present the sheet. Um, so, kind of what we're going to do tonight. So, um, we're talking about fruitful hearers. So, if you grab if you got your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter eight. I love this parable. Um, it's the one that, that Greg read, <laughs> Greg read for you this evening. In, uh, in Luke 8, you find the parable of the sower. Luke talks about it, Mark talks about it, and Matthew talk about it. They each tell this, this parable. Jesus is, of course, the master storyteller. Uh, and so this parable hits his people right where they need to be hit. Uh, they understood this agricultural illustration they were familiar, of course, uh, with sowers, farmers, tossing seed out. This particular farmer isn't very careful with his seed, uh, and so he's just throwing it wherever he goes, as we do with the gospel. Everyone has an opportunity. We cast the seed in a, wherever uh, it can go, uh, and so we're no uh, no respecter of persons. This, the seed goes everywhere. That's the goal. And so that's what this, this farmer has done. He's, he sowed seed on, on the road, um, and it doesn't grow there, does it? The, the, the soil is too compact. And so you think of people like Herod. Um, you think of people like Pharaoh, whose hearts were too hard. And the, the truth, though they heard it, never sunk down into them. They're, they're the path, um, the, the, the seed that's sowed on the path. Um, he, he also sows seeds among some thorns, but the thorns crowd out uh, the, 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 the seed that grows. It doesn't get any sun, uh, and they eventually kill it. That's the cares of the world, and, and you know people like that too, don't you? Their faith springs right up, and, and once they hear the truth, they, they believe it, um, and they, they jump in both feet, right? Um, they're, they're active 
workers in the church, but it doesn't take too awfully long before something happens, as it does in life. Something bad happens, um, and it takes, it steals that person's faith away. <coughs> um, the same thing is true for the rocky ground, right? Uh, it's not good soil. Uh, and so Mark uses this parable to, to ask you, which, which soil are you? Identify yourself in this scenario. Which soil are you? Matthew and Luke use it in a different way. They have different purposes for this parable. Luke wants you to see that there are a variety of different types of soil, and you go out and you plant, and God gives the increase. You don't worry about where you plant. Uh, you give the offer of the gospel to everyone. And sometimes it will fall on good grounds, um, and it will yield Sometimes, what's he say, 30, 60, 100 fold, right? There, there's different talents that each one of us have. Uh, and so sometimes when we come to faith, it's, it's 30 fold. Um, that, that person does an incredible work for the Lord. And sometimes it's 100 fold. And it, it, it's even, the, their ministry is even bigger for the Lord. So what I want you to see is there toward the end of Luke 8. In verse 15, he says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they do what? They bear fruit with patience. If your good soil, the gospel, affects your life, you do something because of the gospel. It transforms you in some way. There are a couple of ways um, that we're going to talk about tonight. These are some things that transformed people do. These are some things that, that you do. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a, a beginner's list, I suppose. Um, so let, let's start in the beginning. Uh, fruitful hearers, ones, that, ones that, that when they hear the truth, they bear fruit. The very first fruit that you bear is salvation, right? You obey the gospel. And so you think of passages like Galatians 3, 26 and 27, where he says uh, you, you want to be saved. You want to uh, get inside of Christ. Well, how do you do that? You're, you're baptized into Christ and your sins are washed away and you, you become a brand new creation. Somebody that's solely focused on his kingdom, doing what he would have you to do. You put everything else on the back burner. Everything else, all, all your hobbies, uh, all the things that you, you, you wanted in your life, all your dreams, all, all those types of things, they those gray out. They're still there. And, and if, they're, if they're not uh, antithetical to the gospel, those things can, can, can be pursued, but not to the exclusion of the gospel and, and not more than the gospel. His kingdom should take precedent over everything. And if we're fruitful hearers, if, if the gospel really has transformed us, we, we do those things. It's a natural reaction, a knee-jerk reaction. If the gospel really has transformed us, these are some of the things that we do. Obviously, when he talks about salvation, we jump in both feet, right? I want salvation. I want to be inside of Christ. I want no longer to be enslaved and chained to the cares of this world. I don't want to follow this path 
that I know now leads to destruction. I'm choosing a different way. We're going to go down. <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about studying next. So grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know this verse. I know you know this verse. Um, but there's something I want you to see in it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is probably one of the ones that you've gotten memorized, right? Studying the Bible is important. Newsflash. <laughs> As a preacher, I have to say that. Newsflash. As a Christian, you have to do that. Right? Um, you, you don't get to just leave your Bible on your pew or on your shelf and allow it to collect dust. That's, that's not what we're about. We are people of this book. Let me read you 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do your best. He's talking to Timothy, right? This young guy, in the, uh, his, his protege, uh, a, a young man that Paul's proud of. Um, he, he says in other places that he doesn't have anybody like Timothy. Nobody else is concerned for the church like Timothy is. Not, not Titus, not Silas. Timothy's on a whole different level. Um, and he, he's left Timothy in Ephesus. You, you know some of this history here. And this is Paul's last letter to him. Um, he, he's saying goodbye. So, so picture that in your head. Uh, Paul knows he's dying. He, he knows he's about to die. Uh, he's about to be martyred. And he's saying goodbye to Timothy, but he's also setting Timothy up for success. He doesn't want Timothy to fall. This is what he says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, Rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best to show, to present yourself to God as one approved. Have you ever thought about that word approved? I've never really thought about it. I've quoted this verse a lot. I've read it a ton, but I've never really thought about that word approved until today. And I was looking at that word and I thought, that's, that's an interesting word. I wonder what it means. Because here I'm trying to get approval from God. How do I do that? Well, I've got to study to show myself approved. So what's, what does approved mean? Well, apparently, back in Paul's day, when they would make money, they would melt down silver or whatever precious metal they were going to make the money out of, uh, and they would pour it into a mold. That mold was the standard weight for the money, right? The problem is most people, money changers, the people that made the money, would file off the edges just a little bit. And so what was really a say a pound of metal, a pound of gold would be 0.95 pounds of gold, not quite a pound. They were cheating you and they would sell it to you as a pound, but it wasn't quite a pound. And they would take the rest of the shavings there and melt it down and put it in the next. And so they cheated you. The people that didn't do that were called gakamos. It's the word for approved. The genuine people. The ones who have integrity. The ones who are the real deal. That's what Paul says to Timothy. If you want to be the real deal, if you want to be an authentic Christian... You study, and God will approve you. You will show yourself to be genuine. 
you're not studying, if you're not growing, you're not genuine. You're not authentic. You're the one who's cheating by shaving off some of the sides there of the coin. It's a powerful word, right? So studying is necessary. It's something we love. Um, 2 Peter 3.18 um, you, you get, we've got to be ready to give a defense for the faith that lives inside of us, right? This is not something that, this is not a burden we carry. This is something that we enjoy. Um, studying this book changes who you are. You get to come in contact with the God who wrote this book, and everything changes. It's not like any other book. I've studied a lot of books in my time. I've studied a lot of textbooks. I've studied a lot of novels. And um, I'm big into um, uh, biographies, especially presidential biographies. If anybody's looking for a Christmas present for me, presidential biographies. There you go. Um, I, love, I love those. And I've studied an awful lot of those. Not a single one of them have changed me like this book has. It's where power is found. It's where you meet God. Study it. It's necessary. It's important. It's essential. Remember when we talked about essential workers? Essential. Studying this book is essential. And it's something we do if we're going to be a fruitful hearer. If, the, if he really has transformed us, this is something that we, we go back to. This is our knee-jerk reaction because we want to be around him. All right. Faithful attendance. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. I know I'm speaking to the, the choir here. <laughs> I get that. Um, but I wanted to show you this because I just think it's so, so interesting. Hebrews chapter 10. You may have run across this, this passage before. We usually focus on Hebrews 10.25, right? Um, where he says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's one of our knee-jerk reactions to being transformed, right? We, we meet together. We rely on each other. We talked this morning about the fellowship, the sharing, the, the, the sharing of the life that we have to have as the church, the koinonia, the, the fellowship that we have. It has to be real, and it has to be almost constant, uh, continuous. It's got to be more than just three or four hours a week. But if we're not even coming those three or four hours a week, we're missing out on a huge blessing. You know that. That's why you're here. I understand you know that. What I want you to see is 1024. Back up a verse. Hebrews 1024. I had gone my entire childhood. It wasn't until I, uh, I was an adult in college that I ran across this verse. And I thought, well, that's why we meet together. It, it's not just uh, a uh, a legalistic thing, well, you have to be here. It's not that at all. It's, it, it, there's a reason why we meet together. Listen to what he says in 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Why are you here? Well, you've considered how to stir one another up to two things. Whoever wrote Hebrews, different topic for a different day, right? But whoever wrote Hebrews says there's two reasons why you've come. Well, two reasons why you come, at least two. There's more than two. Obviously, worship is, is, one of the, is the top one. But two reasons why you've come to worship. 
to stir one another up to love and to good works. There's a couple words here you need to know about. The stir one another up is the word he uses in other places. It's translated provoke. You ever, um, my kids do this in the back seat. Um, I'm not touching you. <laughs> right? Your kids, your kids did that. I'm not touching you. Why is your finger so close to me? I'm not touching you. Why does this bother you? Right? They're provoking one another. They're provoking each other to anger. Right? But Paul, or not Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews is not Paul. Um, the Hebrew writer says, you provoked one another to love and to good works. You stir one another up. What, what is so interesting to me, though, is the word consider. I've never, I've never thought about that word consider. What do you consider? And how, how much time do you spend considering something? Well, what, how, much, how much time, how much thought, how much effort would be put into something for you to legitimately say, I considered that. Let me give you an illustration. If you are um, trying to live on a budget and you look at your food and you go to, go to a food fair or Kroger and you think, where did milk become $4 a gallon? Um, and so I've got $200 that I have to live on this week and I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And so what are we going to do? Well, I'm not going to buy this. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to look for coupons and I'm going to spend some time considering how to make the budget work, right? It takes effort. It takes time. It takes forethought. This same word is used when Moses looks at the burning bush. Remember this when he's in the Sinai desert and he sees a bush over there? You think he just saw the bush and he's like, oh, what's going on over there? That's not what the word means. He saw the bush, apparently, and he looked at it for a little while, contemplated it, thought about it. I'm decided I'm going to go over there and see what's going on. I better, I better go check this thing out. He spent some time thinking about it. We need to spend some time thinking about how we're going to stir one another up to love and to good works. We're not just filling a pew. We're here for a reason. So we stir one another up to love and good works. And it takes a little bit of time to figure that out, doesn't it? To think how I'm going to do that. For each individual person, how am I going to provoke them to love and to good works? It takes a little bit of time. Praying. Um, what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Luke 18.1, is... Um, the consistency with which you need to pray. Um, Luke 18, 1 is, is the parable of the persistent widow, and, and she's um, pleading with a judge to give her, uh, to, to, to judge her case, to give her justice. Um, and Jesus says he tells this parable to teach, to teach his people, to teach the disciples that they, you remember what he says? Ought always to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray always, right? This is one of our habits. This is, this is our joy. This is, one of the, this is our knee-jerk reaction to being transformed by the gospel. This is one of the activities that we do regularly. This is not an afterthought. This is not a, a prayer at night, just doing it by routine and, and root. You know? This is something that we, we do because we want to encounter God. We encounter him here in scripture where he talks to us. But that's just a one-way conversation, isn't it? Him speaking to me in prayer, I get to speak back to him. 
and I'm not just talking out loud, am I? You know that when we pray, we're going into the throne room of the star-breathing God who is capable of all things and who listens to my requests and my needs. That's one of the things we do as a fruitful hearer. Liberal giving's next. Um, I, I love this one. Um, when you go back through, not that I don't love the rest of them, obviously. They're all <laughs> necessary things, essential things. Um, but when you go back through the New Testament, some things are going on in Jerusalem that have caused the church there uh, to be in extreme poverty. These folks are struggling like, like we've never struggled. Um, beyond depression era type struggling, I would imagine. Um, they, they don't know what to do. They, they don't have any resources. There's no government assistance. There's, there's nothing going on. And when Paul, no way for them to access help. Everybody around them is poor. The whole church is struggling. The whole area even is struggling because they're under this famine. Um, it hasn't rained and there's not any, uh, there's not any crops so the whole area, the whole city, the whole region is struggling, but the church especially is struggling because everyone has cut them out. They've disassociated themselves from them. Think, uh, think being shunned. This is what has happened. Um, their, their families, their friends, all the people that they knew in their old lives before they came to Christ, they have pushed them away. And if they see each other walking down the street, the person will turn their back on them. They will not acknowledge them. And if they do, it will be only to spit in their general direction. That's why the church is struggling so much in the first century. Paul sees that and says to the churches across the world, it is your responsibility to help them. Remember that body analogy we talked about this morning? When they're hurting, it ought to elicit a response from you. Paul says that response ought to be, in this case, financial because money will help them. And so that's what he does. He spends the greater portion of his, uh, uh, at least a portion of his ministry, uh, collecting money. And he's going to take it to Judea, uh, Jerusalem. And when he does that, he gets in trouble. And you know the rest of the story there towards the end of the book of Acts. But that is one of the things that's been enjoined upon us liberal giving radical generosity it's the only way to defeat greed if you think 21st century american christians don't struggle with greed some wool's been pulled over your eyes hasn't it we are the wealthiest nation on the planet you don't live in our era of excess and not struggle with greed can't get away from it this is one of the solutions that we can have uh, not only to help the church but also to Purify our own hearts. Liberal giving. It's a knee-jerk reaction to being transformed by the gospel. Teaching. It's another one. Um, flip over to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Starting in verse 1. He says, you then... Remember, he's talking to Timothy... You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to who? Faithful men who will be able to teach others 
also. He says, this doesn't die with you, Timothy. Paul's about to die. This can't, this gospel, this truth, this knowledge, this passion, it can't die with Timothy. He says, you need to pass this on. Give it to someone else. Entrust it to someone else. This is an incredibly precious gift that we've been given in the church for teachers. Right? Someone that can stand in front of us and teach us how God would have us to live. Paul says we need more people like that who are willing to take that burden, to make that sacrifice, and to teach us. Jeremiah would say that there's a fire in his bones, right? He doesn't want to preach to his people. He knows there will be repercussions for teaching his people. In fact, he's going to get thrown into uh, an empty well, right? Uh, They're going to think about killing him. They're going to imprison him. They're going to sell him off. All of that because he would not stop teaching them Yahweh's laws. His standards are here, and you people are here, and yet you just can't continue this path. Judgment's coming. That was Jeremiah's word. He knew, he's not foolish, he knew that if he continues doing this, there will be these type of repercussions. But he says, there's a fire in my bones and I can't not tell you. I see the truth and I need to tell others. That's the type of people we need. And we have so many good teachers in this congregation who have fire in your bones and refuse to stop teaching people. We just need more. Every, every person needs to have this type of drive. Teaching uh, evangelism is basically what this, what this one is. Um, we've talked a lot about that this year, right? Uh, as, as we've gone through our, our Sunday morning sermons, we've talked a lot about evangelism. That is your responsibility. It's not my it's not just my responsibility. It's not just the elders' responsibility. It's not just the deacons' responsibility. It is our responsibility as the church into our hands. We sing this song, right? Into our hands was given the gospel. That's a thought from Scripture. He's in house, he's, he's encased this truth in vessels of clay, jars of clay, um, such fragile dwelling places, such, such, such fragile people. But he's given us this gospel and he's expected us to tell everyone out there how he would have them to live and how he wants them to be saved. We're plan A and there's not a plan B. So if we don't tell them, they won't know. That's a knee-jerk reaction to being transformed by the gospel. Longing for people to know him and to be known by him that's our knee-jerk reaction as uh, as we are being transformed more and more by the gospel that drive to tell other people about him ought to grow and grow and grow all these ought to grow and grow and grow as we mature as we become more like him uh Visiting the sick, a lot of times people think, oh, this is the preacher's job or, or Dave's job or the elder's job. It's, it's another one of our jobs, right? 
um, all Christians have this responsibility to hurt with people. Um, I can't, I don't have time to tell you all the stories of hospital rooms that I've walked into and funeral homes that I've walked into where people have been um, uh, astounded, is maybe the right word, to see me there. Um, they thought I had forgotten or they were, I don't, I don't even know the word, but they were surprised that I came. Some of the most, some of the best friendships uh, I've had are from people that I've driven an hour or two hours to a funeral home uh, to be with them as they grieve. And I wasn't friends with those people necessarily before then, but that does something to your relationship, doesn't it? It shows them that you care. This is fellowship. This is koinonia. This is, this is the sharing of life together. We need to be about these kinds of things. Um, in Galatians 6, flip over there real quick. We'll end with this one. Galatians chapter 6. Another one of our responsibilities as the church, as fruitful hearers, as people who are transformed by the power of the gospel. Um, we long for people who were once among our number but are now gone to come back. If you read through the New Testament, you'll find that those that know the truth and walk away from it are now in a worse condition than they were before they knew the truth. It's a terrible situation to be in, isn't it? our responsibility to do what we can to help bring them back um, to, to, to pray for them to encourage them to indict them to help them to pray for them whatever it takes to bring them back listen to Galatians 6 verse 1 brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. James talks about snatching these people from the fire, right? It's a beautiful uh, illustration, snatching them from the fire. You're pulling them to safety. And sometimes that hurts, right? Open rebuke is better than secret love. That's what the writer of Proverbs tells us. And there are times when harsh love is... True love, right? Open rebuke is better than secret love. We have to tell people who are, who have forsaken their faith, who haven't held up to God's standard, that they've fallen short. And we can't move the standard down to meet them. We have to move them up to match the standard. That's what it means to be a fruitful hearer. That's some of the things it means to be transformed by the gospel. These are our knee-jerk reactions. As we mature and as we grow up inside of Christ, we do things. Our faith drives us to do things. That's what he says in Matthew 7, 24. That's what he says in James 1, 22 and 23. Our faith drives us to do things. These are some of them, but it's not an exhaustive list. 
our, our faith drives us to act, to do. It's not just a cerebral knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just a heart knowledge. It, it involves hands and feet. It involves action. Tonight, if you're not active in your faith, there's nothing holding you back except you. You can jump back into your faith. You can be active once again if you're willing to submit to Him, to have your sins washed away through the power of baptism. Maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you can be who God would have you to be a fruitful hearer. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that the uh, holiday gifts exchange for sixth grade and younger is this evening at Aaron Carver's house. Also, uh, spare times tonight from 8 to 11. 
Um, also, the holiday gift exchange for college kids and young adults is coming up next Wednesday after Wednesday services. Um, holiday meal for December 24th, if you're planning on going to that, uh, please do not forget to sign up on the green sheet on the four-year board. Also, deadline to sign up for CYC is December 27th. Um, the mission team's needing ribbon, bows, and boxes for holiday gift wrapping at Huntington Mall. If you can help out with that, please see Marvin. Uh, Mally Williams has been selected to be on a mission trip in Ecuador this summer. Uh, she's raising support. If you can help out with her, there's some envelopes out on the foyer table. Uh, if you can help out with that. Also, um, uh, the ladies' class on Monday, meet on Monday mornings uh, is canceled for the holidays. They will resume back Monday, January the 8th. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, uh, Jimmy, Jim Martin, Jackie Hutchison in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Keep Judy and Marvin Dorden in your prayers at this time as well. Uh, keep, continue, to, uh, continue to keep Friday Simpson in your prayers as well. And remember, continue to keep David Houck in your prayers as he's in uh, uh, SOMC um, getting some tests done um, for, from his recent surgery. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. The last song this evening is number 834. Salvation has been brought down. 834. Jesus gave his life for ransom, you're a cavalry. Yeah, 
Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we come to you today uh, just thankful for a place like this where we can worship you and bring all our struggles to you. And uh, please be with everyone that's on the prayer list and just help them get better and put your hand over them and uh, comfort them. And please be with us as we go away from here and take uh, all that we learned and uh, apply to our lives. And uh, please help everyone have a good holiday season and just uh, get, let's get closer to you. And uh, most importantly, thank you for Jesus on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus Christ, I have you pray. Amen.